Warning. Crime Convo features potentially triggering content about real-life crimes. There will be content such as violence, crimes against children, physical abuse, sexual abuse, and death. Listener and parental discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to Crime Combo. Come and join the conversation. My name is Alyssa. I'm Destiny. And I'm Nikki. Today I am drinking Blackstone Merlot because it is International Red Wine Day. So Yummy. I, I should break out the red wine. I'm not drinking, drinking red wine. I am drinking Simply Spiked. Those look so good, but they've got like a million. Lemonade. This one's lemonade. I got a couple other flavors too. Very nice. It's pretty. What about you? I actually stole my husband's Smirnoff ice green apples. I'm about to finish my first one and open my second one. Um, lots of sugar. I don't care. They're delicious. Yeah. Normally we don't drink sugary drinks, but we're all yeah. sporting different today. <laughs> yeah. Now we're all sporting sugar drinks because I know this wine's got sugar in it. Oh no. Sugar. Okay. <laughs> Everyone's normal. It's okay. Makes you happy. <laughs> <laughs> it cures the inside boo boo, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's alcohol. It's outside boo boo, but cures inside boo boo, you know? <laughs> it, will, it will help us talk about murder. Yeah, really, though. Especially since, unfortunately, we have to cover this case a second time. <laughs> Due to some technical difficulties. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, we're trying a new system. I messed up. It recorded me on Destiny, but it didn't record Well, me. okay, you so. didn't mess up because you didn't know. It was just, it's a new system. We had some technical difficulties. It didn't record Nikki. So we are going round two. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully we can make it a little smoother this time even. Um, and I'm sure new questions may come up even. So... Well, then note two for our listeners, um, obviously we are learning with you. Um, none of us have ever done this before, so audio has obviously not been the best thus far. We do know that. Um, we're still, you know, open for recommendations and such, but just yeah. bear with us. We're, we're hopefully this program is going to solve all of those problems, but we do, we are actively working on trying to make sure that we put out the best quality podcast that we possibly it's can. It's the as learning as we curve. The properly. <laughs> and I'm glad it's you guys figuring it out and not me. <laughs> I'm yeah. technically challenged. <laughs> we know. We know. <laughs> it's the old lady oh. in me. <laughs> oh, what? you're not even that old or whatever. Um, okay, so today we're going to be talking about Robert Durst. So Robert Durst, I found out about him from a documentary called The Jinx. It is on HBO. So basically, I was going to watch one of my favorite podcasts live, um, True Crime Obsess, and they were going to be covering The Jinx in their live show. So I figured, okay, I need to watch this right beforehand. And boy, was I shook. So I decided I need to cover this. So that's that's where we are. 
So let's get into it. Robert Durst was born on April 12th, 1943 to Bernice and Seymour Durst. Seymour Durst is the leader of the Durst real estate empire, the Durst organization. Um, It was founded by Seymour's father. He has two younger brothers, Douglas and Tom and Wendy. So there was four children. Robert's mother died when he was seven. So when he was interviewed in the Jinx documentary, which you'll hear me refer to a lot, because that is where I get a lot of the references from him speaking about his life. He told the following story about his mom. He said that his father came and got him from his room and walked him down the hall to a window where he could see his mom standing up on the roof. Uh, He waved at her and she did not acknowledge him. Robert didn't register what was happening, and the next thing he knew, the maid yelled, she is off the roof. So it is said that she either jumped or fell off. We're not entirely sure. Basically, the paramedics were coming up to get her, and right as the paramedic was about to get to the top, she fell or jumped. That bitch jumped. Um, (laughs) I think so, too. I do think she jumped, but it was really strange because... Like I said, he waved at her and she didn't acknowledge him. It was almost like she was in a daze or a trance or, you know, like something. Like a psychotic where she, episode of some kind. Yeah. I mean, it could have been anything and we're not really sure, like, what she mm. had going on. Um, But, yeah, she either jumped or fell off. It wasn't ruled in either way. I think it was ruled as an accident. Um, and then just to clarify, his father had his children out there I while think his mom was on the roof. Robert says it was just Robert. So, but you know, remember, this is according to Robert, who we later find out is full of crap about I mean, everything. If he's on this podcast, I, 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 he's probably not the most honest person. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, so we don't know if this is really what happened or, you know, it's it's... It's very murky when it comes to the things that he says happened, but we don't have anyone else's perspective, unfortunately. So we can't say no, but none of his other family will talk to the police. None of his other family will give interviews, really. Like the only time um, any of his family has been interviewed, I think it was a police interview where they uh, Mm -hmm. interviewed Douglas. But I don't I don't think really there's been anything other than that because they've stayed pretty quiet throughout this whole thing. Um, well, and they, I mean, I, I did just a quick Google search. The Durst organization is still a thing. So, oh yeah, no, Doug- had a, have a name that they have to protect. Yeah. Yeah. One of his brothers is still like definitely in charge of the Durst organization and they're still very alive and well. So, yep. Um, so Robert, when he was describing this, he said this scene like never left his mind. Um, and he recalled being at his mom's funeral And this is where he advises parents not to take their children to their parents' funeral if they pass away. Um, Basically. Maybe don't take them to the death of your parent, but to funeral of your parent. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he said that people just kept saying to him, like, oh, your mom's going to be right here. Like, as they're putting her into the ground, which he's like, what do you mean she's going to be right here? Like, she's, like, she's in a casket. You know, he's really young. He's seven. So... I'm sure his understanding is very, like, not great of what's going on. So, 
Well, and that just, I mean, that's one thing in general, like being buried. And it's obviously a generational thing. That was never something that I've been like, mm, yeah, put me in the ground. No, no, make me, grow me into a tree or something. Uh, yeah, like, I have never, honestly, <laughs> everybody in my family, in my like immediate family that has ever passed away has been cremated. Mm, not me. It's so to, much. Uh, my, my brother, TJ, he mm -hmm. was, he was buried. Granted, he was in a. Um, a biker club biker that I club. I can't yeah. mention, but they um, a very special certain kind of burial type right. of thing, and it's what he wanted, and it was it was actually pretty cool. But it's only maybe I've been to maybe four to five. There were the people were buried, but for the most part, cremation tends to be more. It's also way cheaper than being buried. Buried is like I can imagine. Oh no, it's yeah. it's like pennies compared to an actual yeah. burial. So that's yeah. why everybody in my family is always on it, is because nobody can afford to actually be buried in a casket. <laughs> I think yeah. my family too. Same. But for me too, it's like it's kind of it's cool. Like you can spread the ashes in the ocean, or you know, at that person's favorite place. So to me, that's kind of a cool thing. Um, like I definitely, like, I'm just going to say this now, if I, I mean, I've told my husband this, obviously, like if I die, I want to be cremated. Don't bother with all that expensive crap, right. you know, get me a nice urn or something <laughs> and, you know, yeah. take some of me to the beach. Of course, like yeah. I need to be there, like try to I take me both. to where my grandpa's at. Um, mm -hmm. I and want both to happen. <laughs> you want what? I want both. I know that sounds weird, like, cremate half me and bury the other half. Okay, so are they just going to cut you in half then? And, then, and like, one, what, you want this half or you want this half? Like, which one? <laughs> and for my next trick. Yeah. Well, and I get it. No, I get, like, like the, the sentiment and of then both of them. Given my ashes to whoever wants it, and then yeah. you can have your ashes still um, buried. That way there's a spot to go to. Oh, oh. I get what you're yeah. saying now. I thought you might like you want the sentiment of both, and I'm like, girl, I don't know how we're gonna do that, but okay, it we'll try that so that <laughs> the people that are grieving me after I'm gone have a place to go because I've experienced where I have a place to go, and I've experienced where there's not yeah. a place to go. Granted, yes, we can speak yeah. to our loved ones whenever we want, but it definitely helps having a significant place to go and visit them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't know if I want to be buried in a graveyard. Like, I don't want people to have to come and visit me there. That's just me. Yeah, I don't like them. Sad, but, I've only know. had a couple people that I've ever known actually be like buried, buried, whether it's cremated or like in a casket type burial. So I don't really like having to go to the graveyard to visit anybody. Um, now, if somebody's there and they're important, I will. But mm -hmm. um, I would rather, you know, have some of my, ocean, my stuff spread and then give it to people who, you know, who are close to me. And then, you know, maybe my, I don't know, whenever I pass, whoever at that time is the most important, not the most important, but like my husband or my mom or children, whoever, you know, have a nice, good size urn at their home. And then, right. you know, give my friends some, give my family some. Um, yeah. But don't give me to anybody. I'm going to have a list. I'm just like, once I get a little bit, I'm going to make a list because... Don't give me I don't, to I don't people. want no more. Don't give me to people I, I don't want to have me. <laughs> I was going to say, I could think of some people in your circle that would demand having you even though they're not the best while they have you. You know. 
I have way too many urns. I'm just gonna put that out there. I I'm more about little we don't need to add now. to the collection. Yeah, let's, let's not add to Nikki's collection. Over. Yeah, please please do not add to my collection of human remains. <laughs> That's <a> very right. <laughs> weird. <laughs> well, the people that would demand mine aren't even like actual families. So I'd be like, eh, sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, right. weird. Anyway, um, yeah, let's, there. <laughs> let's get back into Robert. Um, so. Growing up, after his mom's passing, Robert would frequently run away from home and from school. Um, he said this was to hide and, like, get away from everybody. And then he would have to be searched for. <laughs> um, so according to him, his father was never really there for him. And he would try to confront Seymour later on. And he basically just said, like, I don't want to talk about this. Like, he wanted nothing to do with talking about it. So he basically... Probably didn't spend much time with his children due to the Durst organization and probably checking out or whatever after his wife passed. Because um, I I don't think he was necessarily there for them before she passed. So Robert was actually a mama's boy. Um, hmm. But it definitely didn't help that his dad was just like not there for him at all. Um, and he and his siblings had to undergo therapy. And this is where Robert is diagnosed with personality composition and potential schizophrenia. So not like officially you have schizophrenia, but you potentially have schizophrenia or you have signs of schizophrenia. But if he only went once, then... I don't think it was once. I think they were in therapy for a little bit, but they weren't... This is like probably... He was born in 1943. So this is when he was like probably between the ages of 7 and 10. So this is like the 50s. Yeah, and they also didn't have as much information about it back then as yeah. they do now. However, a lot of people that do kill from our experience of doing listening to podcasts and getting into true crime, a lot of them do have mental health issues. Schizophrenia right. is definitely a big one because it makes you do and say and act in certain yeah, ways. Yeah, some people hear voices telling them to do mm -hmm. things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So who knows? He very well could have had it and, you know, was just never officially diagnosed with it and that could be part of why all this takes place. Um, but I guess we'll never know. Um, in the late 60s, so when he's like a late teen, Robert attended UCLA and got his economics degree. Uh, this is where he met his lifelong friend Susan Berman, who plays a huge part in this story later on. Remember that name, Susan. Yeah, a little bit of foreshadowing there. She's a huge part of the story later on. We come in for Easter. Um, <laughs> Robert continued to go to school for his doctorate, but according to him, all he was doing was actually just messing around and barely going to class. He even went as far as to lie to his family and tell them he was getting more degrees besides his economics degree. And this is found to be untrue. So he was like saying, oh, yeah, I just got this degree or I just got this certificate. I'm going for my doctorate now. But he so what was you're really saying is around. he's really a liar, liar, pants on fire. Well, right. that and I think he just wanted to mess around. Like he just didn't want to like actually like get into like actually doing anything. He just wanted to oh. do what he wanted. So he was probably going to college. I believe I heard it was into his late 20s. So. That's like what's that? Well, and two things on. Oh, I was gonna say it reminds me of that movie with Ryan Reynolds. Like, uh, it's an older movie from 
late nineties, early two thousands. It was one of his first movies. It was um oh my gosh, why can I remember the name of it? And Tara Reed's in it. Crap. Wow. I don't I'm, I'm really eating myself right now too. <laughs> um but he basically Ryan Reynolds character plays a guy that's like in college for like seven years and he just never finishes school well that's not abnormal but like usually you're actually going to school and you're actually dedicated if you're going for that long like you're you're trying to get your doctorate you're trying to get your master's degree Mm -hmm. whatever because i think so a bachelor's is four years and i think a master's is like six or seven and then a doctorate's beyond that i think it might be like eight national lampoons van wilder that's what it is. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think too, like two questions. Number one, did his parents go to college and know how long it takes to go what he was to get what he was going for? That I don't know. And then also, and then also too, like he's a part of a, a family that is well to do for themselves. So he's obviously held to a standard that he, whether he wants to meet it or not. And maybe, yeah, maybe he was just doing whatever he wanted. But, like, did he go to school in general because his parents wanted him to? Because that's what was, what was up and coming in society at the time. Like, you go to school, you get a degree, yeah. and then, you know, you work for us and own the company later or whatever. Yeah, so first question, did they go to school? His mom, I don't think so. I don't, but I don't know for sure. I never read anything about her, like, going to school or anything like that. Um, Seymour? Possibly, but I I can't say for sure because I never found came across that in my research. Um, and then yeah, it's very possible that they are like you. You need to go to school. It's it may have been expected that he went to school. You know, like mm-hmm. I feel like in a lot of cases when your family has money, like they expect a certain thing from you. They expect you're gonna yeah. go to school for whatever it is, but they have the money to do it, right? They have the money to send you to school, so why not go? True. And maybe that's what he thought, too, is like, well, why not go? I have all this money. I can go. And I don't necessarily have to, like, go to work or anything instead. So right. there's two sides to that coin. So it could have been either they forced him or he wanted to to avoid working. Because it seems like he avoids working his whole entire life, really. Hmm. Other than a short period of time. So. Are you looking it up right now? I was just reading this thing. Um, his family is originally um, Jewish mm-hmm. from Austria, Hungary. Mm-hmm. And his grandfather moved in 1902. Um, I'm also learning that he did successfully earn a bachelor's degree in economics in 1965 from Lee, Lehigh. Yeah, yeah. He, and then, he got his bachelor's degree. But after that, he just kept saying he was going. Then he went to... <laughs> But then he did, he enrolled in a doctoral program at the University of California, UCLA, later that year. Um, but it doesn't say anything about his parents, about whether they went. But, I mean, his yeah. his dad's, well, yeah, no, his yeah. dad's dad moved from Austria, Hungary, and, and education there is completely different than it is here. Yeah, his, I mean, his dad's dad definitely did not go to college or anything like that over here. So he basically came here and was kind of an entrepreneur and made a name for right. himself. Right, he created this company. I think he had, <laughs> I think I had read somewhere that it was like a tailoring business or something like that, that yeah, he had originally. that's what I read. And then mm-hmm. he took whatever money he made from that and started investing in real estate. 
And that's when the Durst organization was started. And that's where it grew from there. And then Seymour took over. And then eventually it was supposed to be passed down to Mr. Bob. Mr. Robert. But (laughs) didn't go that way. (laughs) Um, So a little bit about Robert a little bit later than college. He ended up getting married at some point. Um, And so this is a little bit about Kathy, his wife. Um, Kathleen McCormack was born June 15th, 1952 in Queens, New York. She came from an Irish Catholic family that was seemingly very close. And Kathy and Robert met in the fall of 1971 when she was living and working as a dental hygienist in New York City. Bob was there visiting... Um, He was living in Vermont at that time. So he was visiting New York City. There was... And his family's in New York, right? So that's where the Durst organization is, is in New York City. So yeah, I would assume that most of the family So he just went off to Vermont by himself. (laughs) Yeah, he kind of does his own thing always, so... Um, Sounds like it. (laughs) So there was an age difference between Kathy and Robert of nine years. So she was 19 at this time and he was 28. Um, After just two dates... He asked her to move in with him in Vermont. And shortly thereafter, marriage was brought up. So then they're living in Vermont and they bought and they were owning and running a health food store called All Good Things. Later, this is the title. It is a cute name. Um, Later, this is the title of a movie loosely based on Robert and his life. So at first... Robert is like Kathy's Prince Charming. Like he's treating her well, you know. Also, I'm sure there's an aspect of he's got money. He can take me out. Like not that she was a gold digger, but it's like nice that somebody's actually putting in an effort, right? Um, So they were married on April 12th, 1973. This is also Robert's 30th birthday. So he's turning 30. And they met, you said it was 71? Yeah. So they met in the fall of 1971 and they're married in spring of 1973. So 73. So like a year and a half, basically, between. I mean, at least it wasn't right away, but. But they moved in together right away. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can't speak. I moved in with somebody literally like the day I met him. Not one of my proudest moments, but I, I can't I can't say anything to that because yeah. Girl, you're lucky you're not on one of these documentaries right I'm now. lucky I'm not dead. I know. I totally know. <laughs> well I um, have I an totally aunt, know. I have an aunt that married my uncle after knowing him for a week. She went on a date and married him five or six days later, and then they had four children no. together and hmm. he was also thirty years older than her. Because she was, oh, she was wow. 20 okay. and my uncle was 50 and he had never been married or had kids. But they stayed wow. together up until my uncle passed away in his well, that's, I mean, it sounds but like it that's really a success story. Back then, though, so. Yeah, that's a success I mean, story. Sometimes you know, you know. Yeah, that's sometimes true. Sometimes when you know, you know. Yeah. Um, mm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, later. Not the- with Rob. No. Not with Bob. Bob this <laughs> um, later this same year, they sold their store and returned to New York City, where Bob would begin working for the Durst organization at the request of Seymour Durst, his father. So his father. So basically- clearly his family is very like 
they they want the family. Yeah, his father comes to him business. and he's probably like, "Hey, I'm giving you money all the time anyway. Like, come actually do some work, <laughs> please. I'm paying for all the dumb stuff you're doing as it is." Yeah, like. Well, and two, I'm sure he's like, well, you know, does your wife really want to just live in Vermont and own a health food store? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, they kind of... Do you want the simpleton life? Right. And that's the, the thing is, life. is like, Robert, he likes the outdoors and he likes kind of being away from civilization, which makes sense why he would want to live in an area like that. But, um, right. yeah, Seymour, like, was getting older and he, I think he was having health problems at the time and he wanted Robert to come work at the Dirt Organization. Um, so they're living in New York by the late seventies. So they've been married, you know, six, five, six, six seven years. years. Yeah. Um, their relationship mm-hmm. was not doing so great. Um, Kathy wrote several times in her journal about he would verbally and abuse, physically abuse her. Um, her family also would describe Robert as being very unfriendly to them so this is likely because they knew he hated spending time with them and he also treated kathy like crud so he would even go as far as to they would go to family events and he'd be like immediately like i want to leave like i don't want to be here like he did not want to spend any time with her family because they were probably too average for him narcissist He later claimed in the jinx that he felt bad about he treat, how he treated Kathy and her family. He would also validate that they fought a lot and that he did physically abuse her. On that note, he's going to open On that note, another one. I'm going to take another drink right now with all this narcissistic yeah. BS going on. Right? Um, Seriously. <laughs> Sometime during all this, Kathy started using cocaine and drinking a lot. Um, Robert would also drink a lot and smoked a lot of marijuana. Yeah, I mean, abusive relationships will make you do things you're not proud of. Yeah, well, this just makes me so mad. Um, Bob would wrongfully claim food stamps, and he thought it was just hilarious. Like he's pulling one over on the government. How? How did I? I don't know. I mean, I guess. I guess if he didn't have a job and his dad was just sending him money. Yeah, I don't know how this. Then there wouldn't be a way. Yeah, how this got like you know whatever. But I heard this and I'm like, oh my god, it's so funny. What a jerk! Hilarious. Yeah, it's hilarious that you have all this money and you're taking, you're contributing to. You know, us now, skip to now, we don't have hardly any money for anything in the government. So thanks. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, Thanks, Bob. Yeah. And then even according to himself, he was the dominant one in the relationship. And Kathy. Oh, really? Yeah. And she eventually got tired of him controlling her. According to him, that she started to change um, and started using cocaine after he made her get an abortion. So after he found out that she was pregnant, asshole, he told her, basically, if you're going to have this kid, we're going to get divorced. What he says that at the beginning of their relationship, they discussed it and he told her, like, I don't want kids. And she agreed that that's fine, but that she changed her mind 
not all pregnancies are pl- most of them i'd say back then weren't planned right but you know he basically says like she was on birth control and she's like in charge of all that and oh yeah so it was all her it was all- yeah and suddenly mm-hmm. she wants to keep this child you know so i don't know this is all according to him obviously we don't get to talk to kathy so he's so. a bigger piece of shit than we discovered so far seriously yeah mm-hmm. so that was in february of 1976 They've been married for a few years and, you know, she gets pregnant. Ish, three years. Yeah, and she gets pregnant and he says, you have to get an abortion, otherwise we're getting divorced and I'm not going to give you any money. I would have been like, where's the paper? It's all signed on the dotted line right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure about the history as far as getting that procedure back then, but... I mean, it it was definitely possible in the 70s. It was definitely a thing that you could go in and do. It wasn't... Especially having the money that they had, it's not a big deal. But I feel like it was a lot... I, and I could be wrong, but I it, I feel like it was a lot more risky and maybe maybe, but yeah, like you, I mean, especially having the money they did, they could just walk in and be like, hey, like I need an abortion probably, and then they would get mm-hmm. one. Um, so I don't think that was an issue for them having as much wealth as they did. Um, when he was interviewed in the Jinx about this particular subject, he said that he thought that having kids would be a jinx for them. That he would be a jinx to them, basically. Um, and that's I why... Mean, he obviously wouldn't be a very good dad. Yeah, mm-hmm. so he basically said, like, he didn't <laughs> think he would be a good father. Um, I mean, which is... That makes me mad. I mean, thinking that you're not a good father, that's valid, but forcing somebody to get an abortion and using money and whatever against her is not... I mean, it's not like his family couldn't, uh, you know, pulled a Trump and paid her hush money uh-huh. to just take care of the baby. Yeah, they really could have, and... But he wanted to control her. That's the whole thing. So yep. he, he wanted to have mm-hmm. control over her. So soon after this, she starts going to medical school. And by 1980, they were separated, living, both living in New York, but living in separate New York apartments. Good. Do you, and, and a lot of the times they would go to their lakeside cottage in South Salem together on the weekend. Even though they were kind of living separately, there. Were- I mean, I would imagine it was like we're not to we're we're working on things, so let's do our whatever during the week. I mean, Kathy was probably working on things, but let's be real, Robert was. Not. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, clearly we're talking about Robert, so he didn't work on things mm-hmm. in the right way, anyway. So during this time, Durst was seeing other women. In fact, Kathy found at one point photos of their medicine cabinet and their dresser and a couple other parts of their house. Basically, he was taking photos of these areas so that he could make it look like there was no woman that lived there. Oh, so he could put things perfectly back how it was. And I don't know that this was if this was at the apartment or at the cottage or whatever, but what, Kathy had stuff there, and he was trying wow. to make it look like. But he wanted to make it look to the girl that was coming over like he didn't have a wife, but then wanted to put it back so that Kathy wasn't like, "Why is this stuff moved?" I mean, I guess you got to give, as a young married woman, you have to give criminal men credit for the extra steps that some of them take <laughs> to do what they Because my husband, right? I'm sorry, my husband would not like, no, he wouldn't no. take a picture of like our, our shelf in our house. I guess if you really want to get away with it, you would. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, so there's a level of like, I mean, I was expecting when you said, 
that she found pictures. I was expecting expecting you to say of other women yeah, or, you know, whatever yeah. is, is standard. No, taking pictures of ourselves so that I can take all of the girl stuff off and make it look like so weird. I'm a bachelor. Well, yeah, and that's <laughs> weird. He admitted to her that he was seeing other women, but she, you know, this relationship is just toxic, toxic. Um, and we don't know if she was seeing other men or not. There, w- It was said that there was some male drug dealer that she hung out with, but we never really find out whether there was something going on there if it was just her drug dealer that she Shoot, I hope Kathy was getting it in by somebody else. Yeah, really though. Real. Really though. Um yeah. Um so on January 31st, 1982, um this is according to Robert, he and Kathy went to the grocery store in the morning, came back and had breakfast. Later that evening around 3 or 4 p.m., Kathy goes to her friend Gilberta's house for a party. Gilberta is her very close friend that she also does like cocaine and such with. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Gilberta, from what I, she was very passionate about Kathy as a friend. So she's a, I would say she's a good friend to Kathy, but she's not a good influence on Kathy. Let's be real. Obviously, she was going through some shit with her oh so great husband Bob. So. You know, Bobbert, Bobberto. Yeah. Uh, so then she returned home at about 730 from Gilberta's house. They had a sandwich together and he took her to the train station. He said that she was very angry and drunk when she arrived home and tried to drive to the city herself after after they had the sandwich. Apparently they got into some kind of argument and he cared about her so much so he Aww. said, oh, I'm going to take you to the train to get to go into the city instead. Um, so at instead nine- of just taking you to the city myself. Or just taking her to his apartment so she doesn't have to go anywhere drunk. Yeah, it was not a short drive, I don't think. So it's probably faster to take the train, which is fine. But yeah, um, he allegedly puts her on the 917 train to the city. And then he returns home and has drinks with his neighbor. He said that he then calls Kathy from a payphone when he was walking their dog. Oh, fun fact about the dog. This dog's name is Igor. Okay. <laughs> and a very interesting thing about Robert. Throughout the years, he has several different incarnations of Igor. So like several different dogs, same dog named Igor. And they all mysteriously have disappeared. <gasps> or oh no, he just yeah. brought, this is they've a whole other level. They've either disappeared or they've died from natural causes. I wasn't able to find much on that. I heard that on a podcast. This mofo, and I was like, um, what? That's uh, no sir. But they were all named Igor. The fur babies are the fur babies. You don't mess with the fur babies, and we are all yeah. fur baby mamas. They're like they're yeah. like children. They 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 cannot defend themselves. They nope. cannot do anything against themselves. So it, it's it's on the exact same line to me as doing something to children. Agreed. I knew Absolutely. you guys would love that one. Yeah. Um. So apparently, when he calls her, she says she's at home watching TV. This is later found to just be total bullcrap. Not true. Um, there was not. Um, there, there was, there was no phone call to Kathy. So when they're interviewing, so he didn't even call her. 
mean, I mean, why would he call her? She's he killed her, right? I, yeah. mean, I mean, come on. I'm assuming at this point she's missing and people just don't know it yet. I mean, so. she was missing for a long anyway. We'll get into that later. <laughs> um, so on the jinx, they interviewed the neighbor that he is said to have had drinks with, and he said Robert did not come over and have drinks with him of that night. He did. They had before. And he's not sure why Robert said that they were having drinks that night, but he says that did not happen. So PSA: Robert had shit to hide. That's why uh-huh. he was hiding. Body and part. as far as Robert claiming he spoke to Kathy, his story would change through the years about that. He would say that he called her from home. He would say he called her from a payphone at the store, and then from another payphone. So it it just changed a million times, and then eventually. On the jinx, he says, no, I didn't actually call her. I didn't actually talk to Kathy that night. Um, So. Like, even he didn't even take her to the train station? No, no. He said he took her to the train. He said he took her to the train station, but he didn't talk to her that night. I I don't know. Okay. Um, It's it's Robert. He's just a liar. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So then police interview the doorman at the Manhattan apartment where Kathy was going. And he says that he saw her that night and that he walked her up to the apartment. Later, he recants and said that he did not actually see Kathy. So many people believe that Robert had either coerced this himself or had somebody else coerce this. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to, he's really trying to make it look like Kathy w- went into New York that night. Um, I mean, you have to admit the amount of time and effort that this man took to make it seem like she got on the train she went home she made it home she was fine it's a lot of effort there bob a lot of effort yes bob so on monday morning there's a call made to kathy's school by kathy quote unquote saying that she will not be in that day because she's sick so obviously we don't think it's kathy right <laughs> Later, that this will come up again. Fairly quickly, Robert begins disposing of Kathy's stuff at the trash. The next shoot, day, um, not the next day, but within like within like weeks, like not even like six okay. weeks, like a couple weeks. So <laughs> Robert begins disposing. You of- know, she ain't coming back. Yeah, mm-hmm. Robert starts throwing her stuff out in the trash chute at the Manhattan apartment. Um, so much so that the manager asks Robert not to throw those things in the trash chute because he's just clogging it up. <laughs> wow. I mean, he's better off taking shit to the dump. Come on now. At least try to be incognito about your murderous activity. Well, I think that's what he thought he was doing. I mean, <laughs> that's what yeah, he thought he was he doing. Might be kinda, he might be a kind of smart criminal, but clearly he doesn't. No, he's not. No, he's not that smart. <laughs> um, so Kathy's friend Gilberta, the one that she went to the party that night, um, was supposed to have met Kathy in the city the next day that she, like, after she went went into the city. And when she never shows up, Roberta starts calling around to everybody and, like, hey, have you seen Kathy? Where's Kathy? Including Bob. Hey, where's Kathy? Oh, I put her on the train last night. She should be there. Blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> in the Bob. months after Kathy's disappearance... <laughs> Gilberta and their other friend, Ellen, drive up to the cottage that Robert and Kathy share in South Salem and break in to investigate and gather some of Kathy's things. Because they're very, I mean, sus- I would, they're very suspicious would of it, Is it safe to assume that they, like, 
reached out to the police first? Because, like, I, I can feel like nowadays if I went missing and you guys called the police, there would be that, okay, well, you have to wait however many hours before whatever. That shit's not real. They should not be telling you to wait a certain amount of hours. That is not an actual real thing. We're getting to that. We're getting to all yeah. that. <laughs> okay, okay. I promise we're getting to it. Um, they found Kathy's belongings were being disposed of. Like they're in trash bags and, you know, all those. And found a weird itinerary list from the day of Kathy's disappearance that belonged to Robert. And a note that had the words dump, dig, boat, bridge, wrench, other, and shovel. He playing Clue. Written, written on it. He's playing Clue with himself. Uh, yeah. I think it was Robert in the boat on the bridge. With the wrench? No, no, no. With it's... the wrench and a shovel. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> really though. Really, really, yeah. Well, and mind you, this cottage is on a lake too. So. Oh Lord. Yeah. Um. During this time, Robert offers a hundred thousand dollars for Kathy's return, <laughs> but very soon after, lowers it to fifteen thousand, <laughs> claiming that it was a misprint by the newspaper. Bob. <laughs> yeah. Robert acts very casually about Kathy's death. Um, same with Robert's family. And none of them want to talk to detectives at all when there's an investigation going on. Um, interestingly enough, Robert did not report Kathy missing until he got a call from the medical school several days later saying that she hadn't shown up in a few days. According to him, his family discouraged him from calling the police because she's probably just left you or whatever. Um, and he did not call until the following Thursday. So she disappeared on the weekend and he doesn't call till Thursday. But, but did it, did her friends call? No. <laughs> well, because they, they didn't know that she was really missing. It's like, they're like, hey, Kathy never showed up. Oh, well, she, you know, whatever. So they leave it up. I guess they leave it up to Robert to call, thinking that whatever. I don't know what these people are thinking. And if they did call, I, I haven't. I haven't come across anything. That <sighs> yeah. Says see, that, that's so. that's that's for me a, a big. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not sitting here saying that her friends had anything to do with it. But yeah. like, as a but friend, to be fair, they probably also thought Kathy could have just left Robert because they she had been telling them about you know how bad things were and. Right, but like, why wouldn't Kathy tell them? Mm-hmm. Well, if she was able to talk to them about the problems, why? If that were, and that's and that's. Well, but keep in like mind, though, this crime. is this is the eighties, right? If I was going to leave my husband, like right now, I would text you and be like, "I'm leaving." She did not have that option, so I can see where there might be a little bit of like a maybe she just left and she hasn't called yet because it's only been a few days. It's not been like six months so yeah but i mean also too like it was the 80s so there was ted bundy and john wayne gacy and jeffrey dahmer and the green river killer and like i don't think people think about that maybe that maybe that's a me or an us or a now thing but i mean yeah now if if anybody went missing if i tried to reach out to somebody and granted yeah we have the convenience of texting and emailing and facebook and all yeah of that, see they but, don't have that you have to call from a phone that right if i reached out to somebody in any way shape or form or went to where i knew that they lived and they didn't respond or weren't there and i knew 
that they were in a toxic abusive relationship and I went to their house and they weren't there, let alone that their stuff was being thrown out, I'd be like, hold up. Well, so they didn't know that her stuff was being thrown out at this time, but still they they did. I thought, I thought they did. Well, no, they didn't. So that, that was after they, they didn't go up to this cottage until after she was reported missing. Like this oh. is this is I, yeah I apologize maybe that's just my how my notes are are laid out but no like they didn't this was not like in the first couple days like so Robert reported her missing before they yes. actually so regardless though if you guys call me or show up to my house or text me or something and you don't hear from me that day yeah, yeah. your ass better be calling me and if I don't answer your ass better be showing up to my house. I mean, this was, I would say this is just a different time. Like, Gilberta did, like, call around, try to find out where Kathy was, you know, the day after she went missing, right? Like, she didn't know she was missing, but she called and was like, hey, like, where is she? Um... But yeah, so... Well, and again, that's not meant to be any kind of shade on on her friends or her family who, you know, I I guess at this point haven't been brought into it. I don't know. We don't know that situation. So not, not meant to be shade. They didn't even know until Robert told them. They could have also assumed that maybe Robert or her family already filed a missing persons report too. Maybe that's they possible too. That already happened. They may not have known that Robert didn't go right away and, yeah. and do it. That's also on the assumption too that she was close to her family. That, she, that her family heard from her often, if, if at all. I mean, she was close to her family, but I I'm guessing it's like any adult relationship where maybe they don't hear from each other every day. Like, I don't talk to my right. mom every day, so. Right. If they go weeks without hearing from me, that's a whole nother thing. But a few right. days, no. Um, they didn't even know until after yeah. Robert told them, after he reported her missing. So. Okay. Yeah. The investigation was mainly centered in New York City due to the fact that the doorman made his statement. And Robert definitely set it up to make it look like Kathy went to New York that night. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, once she's reported missing and, you know she's gone for a while her friends and family come forward to the police and give details about robert and her relationship but the police neglect to follow up according this is according to her family they did not follow up they may have but this is according to her family but i don't kathy's family i personally don't think they did (laughs) i personally (laughs) don't think they did um her friends did a lot more investigating and looking for her than anybody else did It was found out that shortly before Kathy's disappearance, she had asked Robert for a divorce settlement and he declined because he didn't want to give her any money and continue to pay for medical school. Um, Mm. It was also said by a couple of her friends that she told them if anything happens, it's Robert. Um, Yes. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. Eight years after this is just what a piece of crap he is. Eight years after her disappearance, he files for divorce claiming spousal abandonment oh he's just a jerk um yeah so <sighs> robert and it's also it is speculated also that she had maybe found something on the durst organization about Ooh. his family that she was going to expose this is according to i think i believe it was gilberta that had said this that she had found something out like a ledger of some sort and was going to expose this. So there's motive here. There is definitely motive here on Robert's part. Like she wants a divorce. She might have some dirt on him and his family. So 
there's a hundred percent motive for killing Kathy to get her out of the way, to keep her quiet, all of those things. I know, mm. I know. Um, so in the eighties and nineties, Robert holds a very important title at the Durst organization. Um, however, <laughs> he did not go to work very often. And when he did, he did not perform very well. Um, in the 90s, he just randomly quit showing up after his brother Douglas was chosen. <laughs> his younger brother, I have to emphasize, his younger brother Douglas was chosen to run the business instead of him. I wonder why, Bob. Mm -hmm. Yeah. However, Robert never showed any interest in the family business and he admitted that he was not interested in it. However, he was still very bitter at Douglas for being chosen. So much so that Douglas hired a bodyguard to protect himself. And when Bob is asked why he thinks his brother hires a bodyguard, he says, quote, because he's a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally what he said on the jinx. And I just, I died. <laughs> I died. <laughs> Because he's a pussy. And if you, you, I have to say to you guys and to our listeners, after this, you need to first go watch the Jinx. You need to watch all good things and do some sleuthing on Robert Durst because I have watched all good be... things before. It has Ryan Gosling. Okay. You need to go watch the Jinx documentary. You will be shook. <laughs> and that is about them, right? This all good things movie yeah, is so about the, the, Robert. We're, and... we're about to get to that and you'll hear a little bit more about it. Um, so. And just so you know, All Good Things is available on Hulu. Yep, that's how I watched it. And Amazon Ooh. and Peacock and Sling and Redbox. And it's available, but primarily yes. um, Hulu and Amazon. However, I think oh, the Jinx man. is mainly available on Max. Um, but so 18 years after Kathy's disappearance, wow. investigators in Westchester County, New York, reopen the case into her disappearance. So it had gone cold. This is when they finally decided to search the home in South Salem that Robert and Kathy lived in. So their cottage. Um, and a new person was living there by then. So Robert had already sold it and moved out. They didn't find anything of evidence. Um, and at this time, they were preparing to question Susan Berman, Robert's friend. Uh, remember the friend he had met in college, right? Mm -hmm. About Kathy's disappearance. Because she was actually kind of Robert's spokesperson like, to the media after Kathy's disappearance. Mm -hmm. Like, when people were accusing Robert of, like, killing Kathy and, like, all these things. Like, she would speak for him. So she was, you know, I guess, like, a publicist in some kind of way to him. But not, like, really a publicist. So. Um, she was, like, her his public relations guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, during the time, Robert fi finds out about the reopening of, of the investigation. He's tipped off by, I think, his sister, Wendy, if I'm not mistaken. He marries a new woman named Deborah and gives her complete control of his financial affairs. So power of attorney. And this is when he decides to escape and rent an apartment in a small town called Galveston, Texas, posing as a mute woman named Dorothy Siner. Fucking guy. <laughs> Yeah, Dorothy Siner's. <laughs> this is actually, yeah, 
Uh, I'm sorry. This is actually the name of a woman that Robert went to high school with. So he like probably remembered back. Oh yeah, there was a woman named Dorothy Siner in the yearbook. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna do that. Oh, what? I'm gonna find her. Oh my yeah. god. Um. So a little bit more about Robert's best friend Susan. Susan Berman was born May 18th, 1945 to Davy Berman and Gladys Berman. Her father, Davy, was actually a well-known mobster in Las Vegas. And apparently she had no idea about this until she was 21 years old and in college when a friend of hers tells her about a new book that came out and her dad was in it. So it's about mobsters and her dad's in it. Um, So very... (laughs) Very weird, right? Um, She later goes on to write books herself about mobsters and about her family. So she seemed to like the fact that her dad was, you know. Mobbing it up. Yeah. She seemed to enjoy it. Um, She thought it was cool. Like, she really, like, took it on as part of her personality, I guess. Well, I mean, daughter of a mobster. That's kind of a big deal. So it is theorized that she is actually the one that called Kathy's school to say that she was sick. She wanted a piece of the action. I mean, I definitely think there could be a level of, like, she was raised with a criminal and didn't know that she was raised with a criminal. So maybe she's got some kind of empathy. Yeah, but her and Robert were super close. So, like, he may have just called her up and been like, hey, like, I need you to do this for me. And she probably, like, I honestly think that she knew, like, what... I, I think she knows what happened to Kathy. Like, I, I think I think she was fully aware of what happened to Kathy. On that note, I'll put another one over here. <laughs> yeah. All everybody's in cahoots. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. On December 24th, so Christmas Eve of 2000, the LAPD receives a call from a neighbor about a dog that was loose and covered in blood. This is when they arrive at Susan's home and see that the back door is wide open and she is laying on the floor with a single gunshot wound to the head execution style. And the dog had been walking around and her blood spreading it everywhere. So there's little doggy footprints. But the doggy's okay, right? No, the dog's fine. He's just covered in her blood. Um, So he probably saw what happened and then was there and yeah. Poor doggy. I mean, poor Susan, but poor doggy. Right. When they looked into this initially, the LAPD thought that this may have been a mob hit due to Susan's connection to the mob. And, you know, at the time, they didn't think Robert was a suspect, I guess. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay. If, If I were presented with all of that at the time, not having any. Yeah. I mean, they look into her and they're like, oh. She's an author. She writes about mobs. Like, her dad was a mobster. Like, mm, you know, like, that would make sense to me. Robert then develops a relationship with Susan's son. This is her stepson, actually. So, but she considers him to be her son. Um, So this is from one of her previous marriages. And he even pays for his college tuition. And at this time, he doesn't believe that Robert did anything to Susan. Hmm. Um, it's found out that shortly before her death, she informed Robert that the New York prosecutors wanted to speak with her about Kathy's disappearance. So he, she called him up. It's like, Hey, you know, Janine Pirro, the um, prosecutor wants to talk to me about Kathy. And he 
they didn't talk on the phone. I think she left him a voicemail. Um, and then the LAPD received a letter that was postmarked the day of her murder. So the day before they found her. And it says, 1527 Benedict Canyon Cadaver. So this is Susan's address and the word cadaver, which, if you don't know, is a dead body. Mm-hmm. Um, a part of a dead body. Yeah. So a body. typically a cadaver is like refer- referred to as like a... You, there can be like a cadaver doll that they practice on like in medical school and such. Well, and I, I feel like also I could be wrong, but my my aunt was in a really serious car accident and she had an ankle replacement or not an ankle replacement. I'm sorry. She had she had what I what I recall at the time being referred to as cadaver body mm-hmm. parts yep, oh, okay. that yeah, from someone that, is pa- that, had, that had passed away. And so cadaver isn't always I mean, obviously you think of cadaver, at yeah. least for me, I think of a cadaver dog. I think I, of I would say it's just a body of some sort that's I mean, if Robert's saying it, he's obviously not talking about the like professional legit but medical. How do you know? That, how do you it's... know that Robert wrote it? Um, okay. it's Bob. It's fucking right. Bob. Because his wife is gone, his best friend's dead, and he's pretending to be some deaf woman in Texas. Right. <laughs> um, like, come on. It's Bob. <laughs> Another funny thing about this letter is on the envelope that it sent in, Beverly, for Beverly Hills, was spelled incorrectly. So it has an extra E between the L and the Y. Um, so he spelled it B-E-V-E-L-E-Y. B-E-V-E-R-L-E-Y. I missed the R. Yeah. Hey, um, I'm dyslexic, so I probably won't know how to spell that shit either. I had to see it. That's why I spelled it wrong when I said it out loud. (laughs) Right, right. Um, So police believe that it's Robert eventually because he's in the area at the time of Susan's birth. Uh, Susan's birth. Wow. (laughs) Go by. I mean, Susan's death. Um, Was that wine hitting you? (laughs) He flies into San Francisco like a week or two before, you know, this. And he has a car there, so he's got a car at the airport. He goes, apparently, you know, to some somewhere by the ocean or in the country or whatever is hanging out, according to him. He claims that he never went down to L.A., but there's no evidence that he didn't. And also, when police try to look into his phone records, they find that it's off for a couple of days before and shortly after um, the death of Susan. So he very well could have driven down there and just had his phone off so that they can track him. Um, yeah, I mean, now at this point, there's cell phones. So he has a cell phone that can be tracked and. Yeah, and yeah. Whatnot. Um, yeah. Also around this time, Kathy, Kathy is officially declared dead, even though her body was never found. So now we have Kathy is declared the, dead. Like, and. Like- 90s, early 2000s or something. Then? This is two, this is the same year, 2000. Okay. And yeah. No, when did Kathy disappear? It was 90. Kathy disappeared in 82. So, yeah. And Susan died in 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is 18 years after Kathy, Kathy died that she's finally declared dead, even though there was no body. On September 30th of the same year, two, well, not the same year, the next year, 2001. Sorry. Um, a teenage boy around the age of 13 comes across remains in the water in Galveston, Texas. 
So this is Galveston Bay that he finds these in. Um, the dismembered body was found in garbage bags. No head is found. Arms and legs are cut off and separated. Um, there's also a newspaper clipping in with these body parts. I guess they were taking out the trash with the body. Not sure. Um, with an address on the, the newspaper that reads 2213 Avenue K. Investigators go to this address and they see a train of blood that leads down the porch into the road that had been cleaned up. So it's like a stain, basically, of where they're like, oh, this yeah. looks like a blood stain. Because um, you can you can get that shit out with bleach, but it goes, especially yeah. in concrete. That, that concrete right. It's not going to fully disappear. Um, so mm-hmm. after contacting the owner of this building, it's determined that a man named Morris Black lived in the downstairs unit, one of the downstairs units. There's two across from each other. Um, and on October 5th, investigators determined that the body they found in Galveston Bay is Morris Black. So they know who the victim is now. Um, Inside of the apartment, there was cleaned up blood in the hallway that led to the other apartment downstairs. So, like, it's coming out of there, going into there, whatever. And this apartment is rented by a Dorothy Siner. Now, remember how Robert was... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> living in Galveston, posing as a mute woman named Dorothy Siner. <laughs> Investigators obtain a warrant to get into this apartment. And on the floor in the kitchen, there's drop cloths. And under these cloths, small cuts are found on the floor. And underneath the, I'm assuming it's some kind of tile or whatever, like laminate that you can pill up. Um, they find blood stains that are a match to Morris. So pretty obvious that he was probably killed in this apartment pretty obvious that bob did it yeah dorothy bob um the landlord when interviewed about dorothy signer says that she was a very ugly woman oh (laughs) um i mean lady i'm gonna look her up you're gonna look up okay so so nikki remember dorothy signer is not not really dorothy signer (laughs) but i gotta see Um, it (laughs) I don't know if there is a photo or not. Um, the landlord also says that there's there's a man that sometimes comes around claiming that claims to be Dorothy's brother-in-law. So he like comes and watches her apartment or whatever while she's out of town traveling a lot. This is believed to be Robert just outside of his disguise. I just have to say, trying to look up a picture of this woman. Yeah. An article came up that was titled... <laughs> What's the title? Meet the, meet the drag queen who taught Robert Durst how to dress like a woman. Oh like my it's... goodness. Dude. <laughs> what is going on? Well, he is from New York, so. Oh my god. Oh my god. I wonder god. if he like went to like a club in New York and's like, I want to start doing drag. Can you like help you me? <laughs> Quote. Quote, what struck me the most was the fact that he was just horrible in drag, <laughs> said Claire Schuler. Oh my god. <laughs> I just, he literally, quote, he literally smeared blue eyeshadow and red lipstick on and called it a day. He wore a nasty, ratty wig. I think he was just trying to be more inconspicuous than noticeable. What is that called? The Widow's Peak or whatever? Look at that. 
Yes. Yeah, that widow's peak though. <laughs> what kind of Elvi- what, who is it? Elvira who has that? Come on now. Yes. Yeah. Um. So that, I mean, yeah. I can't see him being good in drag. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Not even a oh little bit. Gosh. And uh, we know he didn't try. Bah. No. Um. So investigators begin going through the trash in the alley behind this, this fucking guy. house apartment thing. They find an appointment receipt for an eyeglass pickup at an eye clinic. Which has in the trash in Texas, yeah, which has Robert's yeah. name on it. it, says Robert Durst. Um, they're like, Who's Robert Durst? So, investigators call the eye clinic and ask if they know who Robert Durst is and say, Okay, if this guy shows up, please give us a call. Shortly after, um, so like a few days to a couple weeks after, we're not really sure on the timeline there. Um, the detective gets a page. So this is when pagers were still a thing that says 911 from a familiar number. He doesn't like realize who the number is from at first. And then he eventually realizes it's from the eye clinic. And so he goes there like right away. He's like booking it. Um, He makes it to the clinic, but doesn't make it inside before he sees Robert Durst pulling out of the parking lot. Mm-hmm. So he starts following him. He has a motor division cop pull Durst over and Durst is detained. As this cop was walking up to the car, he saw a bow saw in the back of the vehicle, which is, I mean, not super suspicious, but a little bit because it's Robert. Um, well, I mean, I, Bob. on that note, I do have a saw in the back of my car. What are you okay. doing? It's my husband's, okay? Long story short, my husband needed one for work and he, we went camping and he put all of his shit in my car and just hasn't taken it out. So I have a legit saw in the back of my car. <laughs> it's only suspicious because of the murder of Morris Black, basically. Because it's Bob. PSA to police officers in our area. If you pull over Alyssa, <laughs> be suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, I, actually i don't even i think that saw is like still in the plastic because he, he's not used it so i still mean take plastic. it yeah and mm-hmm. get it out of my car yeah you keep it sanitized for after after the crime yeah so if you need me i got a saw in the back of my car y'all so. she's ready to oh go my goodness she's ready for murder um, She's ready to be Bob Pal. <laughs> the cop describes Robert as looking like a librarian and that he doesn't look like a person who would dismember a human being. <laughs> I mean, well, at this point, he's like 60 something. I don't know. He's, he's fairly old. He, I think he's like 60 something. He's old. What year was this? Two, 2001. So he would have, I think he would have been in his 60s. Maybe late 50s. He was born. He was born in... 43. 41? 43. 43. So yeah, he was like 58. Yeah, so he's pretty close. So um, so he's locked up and he is told that his bill is 200... His bail, sorry, is $250,000 hairs. Um, when asked if he has That's this a money... A lot of doll says, hairs. Yeah, he says, oh, I don't have it on me. <laughs> <laughs> so then... He calls his <gasps> wife, Deborah, from jail, and she posts this bail within a day. Well, it's nice. obviously Robert's money, but, you know, whatever. Um, when she's interviewed, I think she was interviewed by police, but it was on the Jinx documentary. She claimed to have no idea what Robert was up to in Galveston. 
and claims that she did not know about this apartment until after he was arrested. Sure. Something I found really odd is they were living apart the whole time they were married, basically. So why did they get married? I, mm, we, we don't really know. There's, there's only speculation. To be honest, if my marriage didn't work out and I got remarried, I probably wouldn't get remarried. But I'm just saying, I probably wouldn't want to live with another man again. Just saying. So don't actually fully blame them. I mean, living with men is hard. Yeah. <laughs> but living with women is also hard. Yes, I'd true. i with my girlfriends <laughs> than have to live with another man again. Just saying. It has its perks. Yeah. Durst then misses a court hearing that is scheduled for October 16th. <sighs> so then, this dumbass <laughs> is Bob. caught. Caught on camera stealing a hoagie and some band-aids at a store in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. He's found with $350 in his pocket, two guns in the trunk, Maurice Black's driver's license, and a very large amount of cash inside of the car. So he has money to buy the sandwich, but he just, he basically says, oh, like, he just wanted, he just felt like he, he wanted, wanted to, to do it. Like, he just wanted to do it. Like, he just wanted to steal his hoagie. That's probably, like, five bucks, you know, instead of paying the five dollars to take the hoagie. Whatever. Um, so he's arrested. <sighs> Ugh, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> and in 2003, he goes to trial for the murder of Morris Black. At the trial, he is the first witness called to the stand. <laughs> He literally needs to be on a world of dumbest criminals. I'm telling you. Right? This, he needs a whole show about world's dumbest criminals just for him. There is. I know. I've seen it. Right. When asked why he was on the run, you know, why he was in Galveston on the run and posing as Dorothy Siner, he said it was because the New York tabloids were going to run a story basically, you know, because they reopened the case or whatever on Kathy and he was tipped off about it so he decided to leave because people had been already accusing him over the years of doing something to Kathy and he just didn't want to deal with that so he said the problem was being Robert Durst and so I needed to become someone else who wasn't Robert Durst <laughs> I have a problem with that was if I was Robert Durst too <laughs> yeah so he said that he intended to go to Galveston and disguise himself and never be Robert Durst again Unless you're, unless he's going to pick up his glasses. And that was his disguise? <laughs> right, right. So he blames this all on Janine Pirro, the prosecutor from New York. He basically says she's just trying to further her career. And that's why she's putting this on me, blah, blah, blah. Um, his attorneys even admit that they worked really hard to make her out to be a horrible person. So that it makes it look like Janine was going after Robert for for just the furthering of her career. And Which is an unfortunate thing that comes up in... Yeah. And when and... she's interviewed in the Jinx, she says, quote, I've heard of the devil made me do it, but I've never heard of the DEA made me do it. <laughs> so I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I mean, wow. I never heard. I mean, I've kind of heard that a little bit through true crime, but uh, mm. yeah. Robert said that being in this disguise was the only thing he could think of. And he's got to be mute, right? Because he can't sound like a man. He's got to sound be like a woman, right? He's got to appear to be a woman. So he goes into Walmart and buys a white blouse and a woman's handbag. And when he's, like, telling the story, the jury, like, laughs. laughs. 
which I mean, I think I would laugh too because it's just so ridiculous. I mean, he's pretty comical, so I don't blame. Yeah, him. it's it's uh, you have to like watch the Jinx guys. Like, it's, I'm gonna it's comical. have to add that to my. It's on my list. It's on it's my a list. six part ep- parter thing, so it's like probably like six hours of watch time. Um, but it's it's good. We're gonna talk about the watch time on TV shows. I'm pretty sure I got a lot. So. <laughs> Six hours I, I don't watch TV much these days. I've been so And I have to say, like, whatever intro song they like picked for it is like really good. It's like really catchy. So like <laughs> I think about it a lot. A catchy murder song. <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting song. Like I think I played it for you guys a while, like last time when we tried to record, but uh, yeah. So a little bit more about Morris Black. Um, we found out from the documentary that he was described as a cantankerous and grumpy loner. I mean, look at just Google. Google a photo of Morris Black. (laughs) I saw that and I was like, "Ooh, he looks grouchy. He's grumpy as hell." Yeah. Um, and he looks like he do not want to be bothered (laughs) by your existence. Yes. In fact, he would even walk down the street to the neighbor's house, so the neighbor would be smoking on his porch. And Morris would yell at him for smoking on his own porch because he could oh, smell yeah. it. Well, he because was he could old, smell it. Lonely guy. He had nothing else better to do with this time. No, not all. Like, bro, get out. Get away. Like, stop talking to me. That's <laughs> like you don't like it. Go on your porch. <laughs> well, yeah. Like we have a lady in our neighborhood that like does weird stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, like mind your business. Like she mm-hmm. once saw me putting trap. Like so, we take the trap. We have to take the trash out to the end of the road because we live in like a dead end, right? So we take it out to the end of the main road, and she's she saw me like throwing trash into my own trash can mind you like i stopped with my car on my way out and i was like grabbing a couple things to throw in the trash can and she's like what are you doing and i'm like i'm throwing trash away she's like that's not your trash can i know it's not your trash can i'm like no literally this is my trash can like it says my my like house number on it this is my trash can she's like i don't believe you i'm gonna call sorry bitch i pay for this and then she's like i'm gonna call the police and i said okay good luck with that and i drove off (laughs) (laughs) good luck with that have fun yeah i'm like good luck with that um so i've definitely met people like this um well i mean we had a a friend (laughs) i i used to smoke and we would smoke on she lived in the second floor and the downstairs neighbor used to complain because it was raining ash on her yes how do you make it rain how do you make it rain ash unless you're just dumping the ashtray out no, I mean, we were, like, standing over the porch, flicking, like, I would extend my arm and flick out over. I don't smoke anymore, thank goodness. But I would extend my hand over and flick. I'm like, okay, sure, maybe the breeze would, like, kind of blow Yeah, but it wouldn't be, I, I did but meet, like, <laughs> I met this lady in question that you're talking about, and she, yeah, she's a lot, so whatever. Yeah. <laughs> this lady yeah. in question. <laughs> Is any of this a, is any of this a reason for Morris to be murdered? Absolutely not. However, I think he was not a, a joy to be around. This is just what we could figure out about him. Um, so he did not have much ca- contact with his family at all. They were very strange. So sometimes he would talk to his. I think it was either his daughter, his or his sister. I can't recall on the phone, but he would never let them know where he lived, and wouldn't give them much details about his life really. So. We also found out that he had a property like somewhere else that he was collecting the money on, like so the rent. Um, he would go in person to collect the rent 
every month like clockwork. Um, he would not accept checks. He would not accept money orders. He needed cash handed to him. Pro- I mean, I'm assuming since he was so grudgy, he probably showed up like on the first at like 9 a.m. You know, <laughs> to like collect mm-hmm. the money. Uh-huh. Um, money. That's not that's not a fact. That's just me assuming because of right. yeah. So I couldn't find on the internet his birthday or any other information about like his family or or anything. Um, but. Robert and Morris had become really good friends to the point where Morris even eventually found out that Robert wasn't really Dorothy Siner. And when he asked Robert why he was dressing up like that, Robert basically explained like the excuse of like, oh, like this, my wife disappeared and like the tabloids are trying to make me out to have done it. And Janine Pirro is trying to make me out to have done it. Blah, 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 blah. And... Morris even said, oh, yeah, like, I understand. Like, I've been there myself. No more details on that. Don't know really what he was talking about. But, like, basically, Robert's like, I needed to get away from it. And Ro- and Morris, like, understood that. So, Weird. according to Robert, this is at the trial. On according September to Bob. 7th. Yes, according to Bobbert. <laughs> on September 7th, 2001. Morris showed Robert an eviction notice that he had gotten. He was very upset and Robert goes into the bathroom. So he's like in there in his apartment. Robert goes pee and he hears a gunshot (laughs) and he comes out and sees Morris holding a gun and tells him to put it down. Morris is shooting at the eviction notice (laughs) Okay. So Robert right. Robert asked him to leave and never come back. <laughs> Super weird. Um, and then on September 28th, 2001, Robert arrives home to find that his TV is on and sees Morris Black sitting at the table, very angry at him with a gun. Mm-hmm. Robert is asked oh, at the Lord. trial to demonstrate what happened from there, and he acts out how him and Morris like fight over the gun. And eventually they fall to the floor and then the gun goes off. And this is when Morris is killed. Now, is he Dorothy while he's doing this? <laughs> well, no. Mor- remember, Morris knows that he's not really that he's Dorothy. Bobber. That he's Dorothy. So Morris Bert? is in on his secret. So probably not. So Robert is claiming that this was self-defense and that it was an accident. Because he was shooting at an eviction notice. Because Bob. No. Well, so the eviction notice member happened on September 7th. And then this day, he walks in and sees Morris sitting at the table, angry. Okay. And they fought. So he says he then downs a bunch of Jack Daniels and dismembers Morris. He (laughs) said that he intermittently threw up and took a lot of showers. I'm sure he did. Uh-huh. Sure you did, Bob. Um, So it's theorized that Morris likely knew something about Robert and was going to expose him. And that's why he killed him. This is pretty much the theory in all three of these murders is that they knew something about Robert and they were going to expose him. Well, on the dumb criminal topic, I mean, he was definitely a dumb criminal, but he got away with it for so long. Yeah, majority of his life. Unfortunately, Durst is acquitted of this murder. The fuck? And however... As part of a plea deal in 2004, he pleads guilty to two counts of bond jumping and one count of evidence tampering. So the evidence tampering is like him dismembering 
Morris Black. Oh. Um, so then he's sentenced to three years in prison in addition to time served. So then he is released. Three years. Yeah, he's released in 2005. So he wasn't in there very long on parole. And he has to return to jail after violating the terms of his parole when he visits the house where Morris Black was killed. He not only visited the house, he went to the store in Galveston and was actually seen by the judge that presided over his case. And that's why he was caught. Because he's stupid. (laughs) Yes. Dude. In 2006. Go back to New York. What are you doing? Yeah. Well, and he wasn't, he wasn't back in jail for much longer because in 2006, the same judge that presided over his trial um, returns to her home to find a severed cat head in her driveway. <gasps> oh my god! So she believed it was Robert because she reported him for, you know, violating his parole. Um. Yeah. So she's she's pretty sure that that this is this is Bob, Bobby, Bob. Hmm. Um. So then in 2010, a film based on a fictionalized version of Durst's life called All Good Things, which is the name of the grocery store that him and Kathy owned, mm-hmm. is released. The movie stars Kirsten Dunst and Ryan Gosling. And so their his name's not like Robert Durst in the movie. It's like something else, um, very similar kind of sounding. Same with like Kathy. It's like instead of Kathleen, it's like Catherine or something. Um, so it's very, it's close, but not exact. They probably can't say exact. David Marks mm-hmm. and Katie. Mm-hmm. Yep. So after this point, Robert decides to reach out to the director, Andrew Jarecki, about this movie. He suggests that Andrew should interview him about the movie because, quote, you know more about Robert Durst than any of those other people do. So he's telling Andrew this, like, you know more about, and he speaks in the third person a lot, super weird. You know more about Robert Durst than other people do. Um, referring to, like, media and newspapers and other people. Which, if he didn't interview Robert Durst for that movie, then where else would he have gotten that information than the media? And, like, the news. What do you mean? Like, so Andrew did not interview or work with Robert when making that movie no mm-mm. he did research on right. robert that was it right which and honestly any research like having done research for a case you get either like police statements or articles news stories so like how can robert say oh you you know robert better than i do or better than anybody but like he got all of his information from those well places. i feel like this kind of stems from maybe Andrew's like, cause obviously some details are just theory, right? Because we don't know right. things for sure. Maybe right. the things that Andrew put in the movie that were theory, you know, like were true. Just like how that guy named OJ Simpson wrote a book about if I did it. Mm, yeah. Thanks. Oh, OJ. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That fool did um, <laughs> Robert's legal counsel counsel advised against doing these interviews. So they said, Duh. "You probably this is probably a bad idea, buddy." <laughs> They'd be really bad lawyers if they advised otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Um, during the documentary, Jarecki asked Robert a series of questions about the disappearance of Kathy, the murder of Morris Black, and the murder of Susan Berman. 
during the first interview, so this is in 2010 when the first interview is taking place, um, they're, they are taking a break. Like they're like, okay, let's take a bathroom break. Let's take a food break, whatever. Robert's mic is still on. And he's like whispering mm-hmm. some weird things to himself, like on the mic. I can't really make out what he says, but his lawyer then walks over and is like, hey, like your mic is on. Like shut up. Basically like shut up. Like, <laughs> shut up. You're stop saying some talking. weird stuff. Like stop talking. <laughs> um, And so this initial interview took place over three days. And like I, like I said, I included a lot of the details from this interview, like in the, you know, this whole episode, like there's been lots of bits mm-hmm. and pieces from that interview. Um, mm-hmm. So now remember the cadaver note that was written after Susan's death. Yeah. With Beverly spelled wrong. Yes. And remember Susan's son that Robert was paying for his tuition. Mm-hmm. Okay. The son starts to go through some of the things in his mother's home and finds a letter written from Robert to Susan shortly before her death. So this is a separate note from the from the cadaver note. But the address on the front of the envelope matches how the address on the cadaver note was written down to the misspelling of the of the word Beverly for Beverly Hills. Because uh, now, mind you, on the cadaver note, he's addressing it to the Beverly Hills Police Department. But, you know, on, on obviously this letter, he's like addressing it to Susan, but she lives in Beverly Hills. So Beverly and Beverly. He had already, the son, had already been doing some interviews with Jarecki. Um, So, you know, he finds this and he calls the team over and shows them this letter. They then compare it to the cadaver note. Like, you know, like on their own, they're like, wow, this looks really Mm -hmm. similar. And this is like kind of when the son kind of starts to realize Robert probably wrote both of these probably did it yeah yeah um so well and i'm looking at it right now which which nikki if you want to see it there's the two don't they spellings. look almost exactly they the look same? almost yeah. identical like, you can you can see that like there's minor changes obviously it's spelled wrong oh and we are going to have a lot of these photos in question posted on our instagram and facebook after the episode is posted so you can see what we're talking about but it's it's really clearly like it's smaller and tighter but like is that something of him just being 10 however many years older than when susan passed only thing that's different is the second e and the two l's those are the only things that but you can still tell but they're similar though even yeah like if you look at it really closely they're still similar enough that it could be the same so at this point, Andrew and his team are trying to get a second interview with Robert. So they want to ask him, not point Blake about the note, but they want to find out. They want to kind of show him the note. Um, so he gives them the runaround for a while. He told Andrew that he was going to be in Madrid for a while and that they could talk when he came back. Mm-hmm. Come to find Why out, is his so ass going to Madrid? His family has a bunch of money. And clearly won't cut him off. No, they never. He was never. He was never ever cut off from the money. He was only cut off from like the family, like as far as like socially. The business, yeah, yeah. So, um, there's a scene in the Jinx where Andrew's on the phone with some contact. I don't. I don't quite know who it is, but basically they hear from somebody else, like that. Oh, you you can talk to Andrew Derecki, but make sure that you don't tell him I'm in L.A. 
Because I told him I'm in Barcelona. <laughs> no, you didn't. You said you were in Madrid. I know, but then Andrew says, well, actually, he told me he was in Madrid. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I mean, they know he's full of crap. Then the documentary cuts back to the original interview. Like, so the first interview that Robert gave. And Robert's talking about the cadaver note. Basically, he's saying, whoever wrote this cadaver note planned it out. And they must have had something to do with the medical field because they knew they used the word cadaver and not like dead body. Remember how Kathy was in medical school and she actually had a cadaver that she had to practice on in medical school. So Robert would have heard that word from Kathy. So he basically was saying, yeah, whoever wrote that, like, yeah, they, this, this, and this. So... They're, you know, they're interviewing Janine Pirro, the prosecutor, and one of Robert's lawyers as well. They show these two pieces of writing. And they both say that it looks very, very similar, if not the same. Yeah. Um, Intentional minor changes, I'm sure. Yeah. So they even bring in a forensic handwriting, handwriting expert. So you use like all they have to use like all the documents they've collected. So anything that they have collected on Robert Durst, all these documents that he's written, I don't know what they are necessarily, but they need to use those to do an actual like forensic comparison. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they hand these over to the forensic person and they compare the handwriting and he determines that these two notes were definitely written by the same person. In his yeah. expert opinion, I guess you could say. Yep. Um, so after this, Jarecki says that he wasn't 100% sure that Robert was guilty, right? Before this. So before this happened, he wasn't 100% sure because there was no proof. But, I mean, he suspected it, obviously. Right. Um, but now he's... We all do. But now he's definitely sure. And it's... It really seems to affect him in, like, a weird way where he's, like dang you know like bob really did do this like he he did it um yeah so then him and his team get word that bob has been arrested in new york turns out he was arrested because he violated protection order that douglas his brother had against him (laughs) so because he's a pussy. Uh, he's a pussy. <laughs> Remember. <laughs> Remember. Right? Right? Um, so in the Jinx documentary, there's like scenes where Robert's like walking around Times Square and like kind of showing them like the Durst organization buildings and stuff. Obviously, they can't go in. But like kind of showing him where the Durst organization's at and, and stuff like that. You know, security's like coming up to him like, hey, you can't be here, basically. Um, and this is when Douglas gets an order of protection against Robert because it makes him nervous. So Robert was caught walking up to his front door on camera. So that's why he was arrested. He was walking up to Douglas's front door, like on his porch, like a weirdo. Because mm-hmm. he's Robert. So sh- yeah. So shortly after he's released, he contacts Andrew and says he basically needs footage from the day that they were recording in Times Square to show that he wasn't necessarily doing anything malicious. Mm-hmm. Um, so Andrew does allow it to be submitted to Robert's lawyer and, you know, as evidence because he feels like it's going to give them some leverage with Robert to get this, uh, this interview. So Robert finally agrees to give the second interview after giving them the runaround for 
I think it was a couple years. I believe the second review was done in um, 2012 or 2013. So, oh wow, it was a while after the first. Um, he was caught. That's why. Yeah, but the, he didn't, and they didn't tell him anything about like what they wanted to go over with him. But he, I think, he had his suspicions, right? And I love how smart the team yeah. was. Like they're like planning how they're going to ask him these questions and what questions they're going to ask him. So they can basically trick him into like saying that he wrote both notes or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So they, th- they first show Bob the note that was in the envelope. So the letter that was found by Susan's son. And he's like, yeah, I wrote this letter to okay. Susan. So then he verifies that the misspelling is the same on this envelope uh-huh. as the cadaver note. He says, oh, yeah, the, the misspelling's like the same. Yeah, that's, no, that's weird. weird. No. When he, when Andrew says, what do you think that means? He says, you, I can draw the, con- I can see the conclusion that can be drawn. So basically he's saying like he could see how both of them could possibly be written by the same person, but they're, but they're not, they're not, they're not according to him. Um, they're very similar. He said he did not write the cadaver note, but he wrote the other note. So, um, so Drecky shows him a piece of paper, the one that you were mm-hmm. showing Nikki, Alyssa, mm-hmm. that has both of the Beverly Hills is like one on top and one on the bottom. You can't tell which one's from right. which note right. or which envelope. And he says that he cannot figure out which one he wrote and which one he didn't write. He admits that, which is below because you know your right. own. And there are there are very clear differences in the two. And and again, we'll post these on our social medias. But there's very clear differences in the two, and there are differences enough that if it were me, I'd be like, I don't write miles like that. But I also don't have the need to change the way I write my L's. But even on both of them, the L's, maybe not they're both not, don't have that slant as much, but they both do a little bit. So, I mean, I think that you can, you know. Yeah. Well, like, I know when I have my my fast writing, fast, sloppy handwriting versus my nice handwriting they both look completely different but i can still tell that it's my handwriting because i know what it looks like both ways so after this the interview concludes and bob heads to the restroom before he's gonna go home of course he's still mic'd up (laughs) so this is what the mic catches while robert is in the restroom Obviously, there's, like, some fumbling around and some other weird noise. He also makes, like, a lot of weird noises during this, which is weird. I don't know. Uh, You'll have to listen to it. He says, there it is. You're caught. Oh. You're right, of course. But you can't imagine. What? Arrest him. He's then washing his hands. (laughs) Like, you can hear him washing his hands. And then he says, I don't know what's in the house. Probably referring to the the cottage. Um, And then, oh, I want this. What a disaster. See, it's all very weird and strange. He was right. I was wrong. And the burping. I don't know what that's about, but whatever. And then I think he burps. He, like, makes some kind of weird noise during that. I'm having difficulty with the question. What the hell did I do? Killed them all, of course. What? Oh, I would have been 
And that's the end. That's the end of the documentary is this sound footage of Robert um, basically admitting to himself. World's dumbest criminal. (laughs) Yeah. Basically admitting to himself that he done did it. So. Wow. Yeah. Um, And then on March 15th, 2015, after the Jinx final episode airs, authorities track Robert to New Orleans. So, mind you, once the production team discovers this footage, so it's when they're doing editing that they discover this footage, they then send it to the police and start working with them. So this is, they're working with the police for a while before he's actually arrested. Um, So they track him to this hotel in New Orleans where he had fake IDs, cash, and a loaded gun. So Robert is charged with one count of felony murder and the death in the death of Susan Berman. Before court started, the defense said any interviews that are played from the, the jinx. So this is his lawyer saying this are inaccurate copies of the interviews. Just trying to diminish. They were, they were just like trying to diminish Robert's bathroom confession. Infection, of course. Confession. Um, so they're like saying these are inaccurate copies of the interviews. These were edited. However, jurors did not get to watch the jinx. They would get to hear the unedited the thing. Yeah. versions of the interviews. So they didn't get to watch it like we saw it. They got the whole They got thing. to see the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they even are accusing TV producers to be w- working as agents of the state to like get Robert convicted. Whatever. Lord. In the end of the Susan Berman trial... Robert was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And what year? His legal team did try to get him. This is in. He is not sentenced until October fourteenth, twenty twenty-one. So he was arrested in twenty fifteen. He was sentenced in twenty twenty-one. When did the trial start? I don't know what day the trial started. I I don't think it's it started. it started after, like, it was during COVID. So, they were right. supposed to have started prior mm-hmm. to COVID. But then, because COVID delayed it, it kept, like, delaying it so much. It was kind of hard to figure out when Well, and it I actually, mean, the, like... the question comes up only because he was 72 when he was arrested in 2015. Give or take, depending on his birthday and when he was, whatever. Mm-hmm. 72. Yeah. Yep, he got away with it majority. He time. was in his he was in his like thirties or forties when Kathy disappeared. Well, and it was the Jinx documentary that did this all. Like, if the Jinx documentary hadn't been made and Robert hadn't accidentally gone in the bathroom with his mic on, would he have ever mm-hmm. been convicted? I don't know. And that's one thing on um, that note too. Like I said in my little description, if you all read it on social media, um, Up and Vanished is one of my favorite podcasts, and it's the same thing. That podcast and the research got us started on all this podcast, (laughs) and what they did brought brought the police and the attention. And I think they found things that they didn't like. There, you have to acknowledge the validity in podcasts and in TV shows and and whatever. I love you, Lindsay. I love you, (laughs) Pain. Ditto. Um. So then, on January tenth of twenty twenty two. Robert passes away from cardiac arrest. Sucks for him. So this is before he can ever be tried for Kathy's murder. But he was convicted of Susan's. Yeah, so he was convicted of Susan's and murder. lived the majority of his life. Almost all, if not all of his life. Yep. Out of prison. 
Yeah. So had he lived to be a hundred, he would have been in there until I mean, he, he died. died he died at seventy nine. So fucking Bob, seventy eight. Yeah, he was seventy eight when he passed away, I believe. And yeah, he he uh, he yeah, he was piece of shit. Yeah, he got to live out most of his life just being Robert Durst, and I don't know. Like you guys got to watch some of the the footage from like that trial because he's just like super old and super like he looks old. He's even more weaselly than he was before. He was even more weaselly than before. He was out there before, doing like- the durstiest. I just can't. <laughs> the I durstiest. Just came up with it in my head. <laughs> okay, that's a new thing. Okay, that's a new. We gotta make that a the, thing. We gotta make it called. Like, if somebody's <laughs> acting like Robert Durst, we need to say that. Yeah, we need to say that they're being dursty. <laughs> like, yeah, Robert was definitely like this way. This case was like just such like. I'm like I have to do this case because it's just so ridiculous. Crazy. Yeah, Worst it was it criminals. was just ridiculous. Right, world's dumbest criminals. I mean, Robert dumbest, Durst. yeah, but he got away with it for so long. Yeah, even though he was so dumb, that's the thing. He got away with it, but he was so dumb about it at the same time. But you got to think too when it comes to the investigation to Kathy. This is in New York. His family, yeah. and right. I mean, it's not proven. Obviously, like we don't know for sure. His family is very influential in New York, so it's possible Obviously, nobody's that- found anything about her. Nobody's found her. There's nothing solid. No, she's still never to this day been found. Like, she was only declared dead because it had- Probably because it had been that, so that long. Cap- that cabin on that island, I bet you that's where her body Around is. In the lake. Well, no, so they did search the cabin, remember? They searched it 18 years later, and they didn't find anything, and they checked the lake, and they didn't find anything, so... But to be fair, it had been so long... Yeah. ...that... Yeah. Who knows? So, yeah. Robert... Robert Durst will definitely go down in history to well, me. Well, I mean, it was just... Shovel, dig, wrench, boat... Shovel, oh. boat, dig, wrench... Yeah. Other Playing bridge. Playing with over there. All these, all these weird, strange things to put on a note. Um, so, yeah. yeah, that's and that's the case of Robert Durst. Um, so, as usual, uh, we do want to take a moment to honor the victims in this case. So, we're gonna start by you know naming them, and then we'll have a moment of silence. This is to honor Kathy Durst, Susan Berman. And Morris Black. And now a moment of silence for those three victims. That's going to conclude our podcast for today. Thank you all for listening. And remember to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and... I think that's it. I think that's it. We're also available on um, Apple Podcasts now and Google Podcasts, as well as Amazon, Pandora, Spotify, and Stitcher, however long that's a thing. Um, The hook is, um, I think for all of these, just going to be Crime Convo Podcast. um, So you can look us up on all of that. Make sure you can email your uh, questions and suggestions as well at crimeconvopodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening and have a great couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.